You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. Matt Levine and Lila Bromberg with you for this week's. Cody, again, not with us, but I don't even know where Cody has been. So I think we're going to start by talking about the Maryland men's basketball team and how they're now... We're still number nine in the country in the AP poll, but now have moved up to a two seed in some of the bracketology uh, brackets, and some remaining at three, but they've moved up to a two in some, Lila. Yeah, it's interesting because we've talked about this on the podcast before. We want the East bracket. It's ideal for Maryland to have fans there, and also, you know, it's just easier for us for travel. And I apologize that my voice is a, middle, a little messed up. You can blame Mark Turgeon for getting everyone on the beat sick. Um, <laughs> it's uh, going around the Maryland men's basketball beat. That's actually, we'll get into that. Mark Trojan was saying that was a bit of why they're having trouble last night. He was a little sick. But, yeah, looking at the bracket, um, right now in Joe Lenardi's bracketology, they're currently in the Midwest as a number two seed. Um, and so that would put them in Greensboro, and then a Sweet 16 and Elite Eight would be in Indianapolis. If that were to happen and they were to make it, that would mean Maryland and us, we would be in Indianapolis twice in one year. So I'd prefer to get a new city in there, though New York is not exactly new. But, you know, looking at the teams, they would be um, in the the switch to basically a three means that you have a bit of an easier seating of who you would face. So they would face Murray State, you know, obviously really good team last year. They don't have John Morant now. I haven't really honestly heard anything about them this year. I mean, that's a 15 seed, and I think that makes a big difference um, facing a 15 seed over a 14. Even that little difference, I think, can make a lot. And then USC and Texas Tech are also in that region. We saw USC a little bit when we were down at the Orlando Invitational, and quite frankly, they looked pretty awful. Um, I haven't kept up with how their season has looked, and Texas Tech is just a weird uh, team this year. I think that you know, they were in the top 25, a lot of because they did make the national championship game last year. I personally don't think they should even be ranked at this point. They're 24 and I, they're 25. And I honestly think that Michigan State should have kept that spot, not them. They've had just not a great record. I mean, right now they have eight losses. Um, they're 16 and eight. So that's not really a team that I'm too worried about. I mean, they're very, very well coached and, you know, they find ways to pull out wins. Um, but not none of those teams that are currently in that section are like something that I would be worried about. When we were talking about the three seed before, I think they're in it with Stephen F. Austin. That's a team that like, oh, we've seen them like upset people and that can maybe cause some trouble, but I'm not too worried about the teams there. But one thing that is a little troublesome is then after that, they would possibly face Florida State or LSU. I think that Florida State's a really good team this year and that's someone who could cause them some trouble, and we've obviously seen that LSU can cause Maryland some trouble, but then again, that would definitely be, like, I, I think they would be insanely fired up going into an LSU matchup, like, ridiculously so. I mean, LSU doesn't have Tremont Waters anymore, so he's now in the Celtics, or in, I don't even know if he's in the NBA or in the G League, but he was drafted by the Celtics, so I don't know, and they, I don't think they have Naz Reed anymore either. But still, just like the, they would be yeah, so it's, motivated it's to not, be like, you yeah, know. It's more of just like the, the storyline with it than LSU actually being that that caliber of a team. Because last year, Maryland was the six, LSU was the three. Mm-hmm. And this year, if they would face, if this bracket actually stays the same, it would be Maryland's a two, LSU's the six. But I think Florida State would come out of that 
Right. I think they'd probably they'd beat Hofstra in in this one, and then um, Indiana or Stanford would have to play LSU, and I think Florida State would beat any of those teams also. So. It'd be the thing is, though, nothing's going to happen Florida that we State. think is going to happen. Like, let's I be know. honest. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly think Indiana could pull that off. But, though they are trending down right now. But then in that region, you've got Oregon, Villanova, and Kansas. Um, Oregon is a team that I think is really good this year. Um, they haven't always performed up to expectations. But Peyton Pritchard is the kind of player that is always going to show up big for games like this. You know, he's the one who really kept them as far as they were able to go last year in the NCAA tournament, and I think that'd be a really cool matchup with Ant Cowan. Um, obviously, you know, that's if Maryland keeps advancing, but Kansas is a team that I'm very worried about Maryland facing. I, I don't think Maryland could make it past Kansas. I mean, you never know. I, I think that, you know, if they're playing at the high level that they that we've seen at some points this season, they could, but I don't think Kansas is a team that you can overcome a 14-point deficit against, and I actually wrote an article this week looking that you know, Maryland has, I went through, here's what I spent uh, my Monday doing, Matt. I went through every single box score and play-by-play of the Mark Church era. It took me about four or five hours uh, to go through and get all these stats I was looking for. Uh, Matt's shaking his head, like, why would you do that? But it's my, pa- you know, I was passionate about this article. I'm very passionate about my work, and I really wanted to take a look at this. And basically, this year's Maryland team has overcome more 14-point deficits than any team in the Mark Turgeon era, and you might be thinking, oh, well, like, they're facing more deficits. They're actually not. So you can look at this article up on testudotimes.com, and basically they faced five 14-point deficits this season, and they've gone 3-2 and two in those games, 3-1 and one since 2020 started. They haven't won more than one um, over the Mark Turgeon era, and they've, you know, faced a ton each season, um... You know, they the only year where they faced less than five was in 2015-16 when they faced four, but they went one and three those years. And in the postseason, Maryland is 0-5 when they faced a 14-point deficit, including both losses last year uh, to Nebraska and LSU. So I think that that'll give Maryland an advantage in March this year, that they've shown that, but you obviously don't want that to happen in the first place, and I think Kansas isn't really a team you can do that against, but... One thing I want to discuss with you, I think you and I have talked about this and texted about this, and we may have talked about it on the podcast a little bit. Right now, you've got as one seeds Baylor, Kansas, San Diego State, and Gonzaga. Right, so those are two Big 12 teams. The Big 12 isn't great this year. And then you've got two teams from com- from non-Power 6 conferences. Do we really see that holding up? Like, is the committee really going to put in teams of that caliber? Like, I feel like if you win the Big 10 and you go far in the Big 10 tournament, the Big Ten's such a good conference, I feel like that deserves a one seed. And I feel like people are the committee. I don't. This isn't the committee. This is just Joe Lenardi, but and other people. But it seems like everyone's just looking at records and all these things like that. And and I think that in a college basketball year like this, where everything is so crazy, you can't just go with the team that's undefeated, like San Diego State. You have to look at quad one wins. You have to look at the schedule they're facing, the conference they're in, and all of those things. I just don't see this holding up right now. Well, when I think about this, I think. What if San Diego State or Gonzaga or even Kansas or Baylor, what if they played in the Big Ten? What would their record be? San Diego State would not win a single game in the Big Ten. I mean, maybe against Nebraska or Northwestern. I don't think they would be good. Around 500. I don't even think they would do that. I'm going to be honest. Like, they don't play anyone. Yeah, that's the Like, I I agree with you as much as I want to play devil's advocate, but I, I think that it's it's all about records right now. And it's, this is obviously all projection, but... 
at the end of the season when they're actually choosing, you know, on Selection Sunday, you watch the entire broadcast on CBS and everybody is just so thrown off by things that happen on Selection Sunday. So I think that there's obviously going to be a lot of different things that happen with this. I don't think these one seeds are cemented right now. Uh, I would say Baylor probably is because they've been at the top. I mean, they they have to lose a lot of games, but they've been at the top for so many weeks now. And Kansas has two. And we, we know Kansas can be a one seed, but I don't think... And I, I do think Gonzaga's very good, but they also don't play anyone. But I think that if they did play in a better conference, they'd still be... They wouldn't be number one, but they'd be up there. They'd probably be a two or a three. So I think that Gonzaga's going to stay. I don't think San Diego State should stay. And looking at it, I don't think you can have Baylor and Kansas, right? They're both in the same conference. So one of them is guaranteed to have another loss. And I believe that they might be playing each other coming up as well. Um, yeah, so they play each other again. They potentially play each other twice again. So, right, if it ends up happening where you've got the Big 12 championship between Baylor and Kansas, they would play. And then they play on February 22nd. So I don't see any way realistically that they both become one seeds because there's a potential that one of them has two more losses just from that. Or they each get, you know, one loss or something like that. Like, I don't see a way that you can both have them because they potentially face each other twice. I mean, and you look at Kansas. I mean, there's a really good game coming up when we're recording the podcast tonight. They play West Virginia tonight. They're going to be at Baylor later. They're going to be at Texas Tech. I don't I don't see them, like, completely holding up. And then you look at Baylor's schedule. And like we mentioned there, you know, Baylor's also going to be playing West Virginia. They're going to be playing West Virginia uh, on Saturday. They play Kansas, and then they play Texas Tech and West Virginia again. Like, I just do not see any way that you have both of them as a one seed. It's just not going to hold up. There's no way. Now, do you think that Maryland could replace them as a one seed? So, I mean, that's tricky. I think that there certainly is a possibility. If Maryland were to win the Big Ten and make it to at least the championship game of the Big Ten tournament and you know, right now, looking at their record, they've got four losses. If they can, I don't think they can be a one seed if they have six losses, but I think if they go to, you know, have five losses and they win the Big Ten, the Big Ten tournament, I could see that as a possibility. Because like I said, I don't see it going by just wins this year. It's just not that type of season. But more realistically, I see Maryland as a two seed. Um, So who do you think could replace Kansas, Baylor, and San Diego State? Hmm. Um. Maybe Louisville. Yeah, yeah. That's who I was gonna say. I, I was gonna say Louisville. I think that Louisville's better than Duke. Um. I agree. I I don't think Duke's that good. You and I were talking, looking before a podcast. If you look at quad one wins right now, everyone's talking about oh Duke is so good. They don't. Yes, they three losses, but they, they have four quad one wins. Crew. Yes. First of all, that. But that's not my job to comment on. So. Um, they have three losses. Only one of those losses has come against a quad one team. Okay, they've got a loss against a quad three team and a loss against a quad two team, and they only have four wins against a quad one team. That is it. Okay, the majority of their wins have come against quad three teams. Ten wins. That is like. You look at the rest of the AP poll, the rest of the net, like any of this stuff, like they really have not faced good opponents. They just haven't. 
most of it, they have more wins against quad one opponents than quad one, sorry, they have more wins against quad three opponents than quad one and quad two combined. That doesn't deserve a two seed. That doesn't deserve a one seed. And they're going to get a two seed because it's Duke. But I don't think they deserve a two seed whatsoever. And they have such an easy schedule from here on out. The ACC is easy. They've got an easy schedule. They maybe end up with one more loss, but they don't deserve to be up there. I mean, even like San Diego State, we're talking about they don't really face anyone. Like, they have, you know, also four wins against quad one. And then, you know, Dayton, a team that has been in conversation for a two or one seed as well, only has three. Right, but you look at a team like Maryland, and Maryland has six against quad one teams, right? And Maryland only has um, all of their losses have come against quad one teams. They've not had a single loss to a quad two, quad three, quad four opponent. They just haven't. Um, so if we're looking at that, it's really tough, Matt. I mean, it's just it's really no, I, tough. I don't even think Dayton I, should be a two. I, I think that I really I don't think... know. I think Obi Toppin on Dayton could be a top five pick in this coming draft, although he is a redshirt sophomore, so mm-hmm. he's a, at age he's a junior technically. But I think that they don't really play anyone either in the A-10. The A-10 is garbage, if you really yeah. think about it. They, the best team they face is Rhode Island, and they just destroyed them the other night. And Rhode Island was on a 10-game winning streak at the time. I just think that... They have one guy. They have they have a couple guys, but they if they competed in a better conference, I don't. I think they'd get beat many times. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, if we're looking at wins, still you put Dayton at the top. If you're looking in terms of like the one singular player, the couple guys that they have that can go in, into the NBA, then yeah, you put them there. But if you really break it down and put them in the Big Ten or put them in the Big East, they're They'd probably compete, but I don't think that they'd be that high. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the crew is going to end up picking. But I think that the committee is going to have a harder year this year than really any year that I can think of. Because um, now after, you know, really looking, I I think Maryland could end up as a one seed. I'm going to be completely honest. Because looking at these other teams, I think that Louisville could end up as a one seed. I think Gonzaga is going to stay as a one seed. Um, and then either Kansas or Baylor. But... I mean, maybe the committee just put San Diego State because other people have so many losses because it's that kind of season. But right now, I it's just so hard to say. I really think it's going to be a tough year for the committee. But the thing that I'm curious about most is I was really excited when on Saturday they came out with the projections, um, the like official ones from the NCAA. Maryland was a three seed in that. They probably should have been a two seed if we're being completely honest after that went over Illinois. But they had them in the East, which we wanted, and it was against, they would be, they're in the same, like, region as Duke. And I really want Maryland to face Duke. I think that, you know, uh, Coach K has been avoiding Maryland for so long, and that, the fans would be so fired up of that. Like, just imagine that, right? Like, Maryland versus Duke, Sweet 16, Madison Square Garden. I mean, that would be incredible. That would be an incredible out atmosphere. I'm talking completely sold out, you know, you have Maryland fans come up, Duke fans come up, like, that would just be incredible. Um, but I could honestly see in that region, like Duke falling to a three seed in Maryland, taking the two seed there. Then again, I don't know because it's Duke and they're going to get an advantage with the committee because that's just how, you know, stuff works. And 
it's not just me being a bitter fan. It's it's just like and I'm not I don't consider myself a Maryland fan. I cover Maryland and it's not me being someone who grew up hating Duke. It's just like that that's kind of just like a fact of how things work. You know? But I could see that happening. Um or maybe Maryland ends up getting the number one in the East region. But there's a tough Big Ten schedule ahead. And it's gonna be a crazy Big Ten tournament, so anything can happen, but one thing I'd like to point out before we get into the games and all of that, Maryland is now 14-0 at home. They've won seven straight. We'll get into uh, the game against Nebraska. It was not pretty. We'll talk about some of the reasons why. But they're now 14-0 at home. They have never had this good of a record at home in the history of Xfinity Center, Comcast Center. Do you want to know the last time they went undefeated at home? When? 2001-2002. The only time. So, I'm just saying. Like, yeah, it's just a possibility. Saying. <laughs> just saying. It's also in Atlanta, so we're just saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's just, like, a lot of coincidences. I'm just, I'm just going to say that. Um, maybe it's not a coincidence. Maybe, it, maybe it's meant to be like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they should have moved up from number nine in the poll. I really do. Um, I get that no one below them lost. Right? But... You pick up a win against Rutgers, a team that was ranked as in the top 30 of net rankings. And then you pick up a win at Illinois and an insane... Like, I was there, guys. That was an insane environment. I had a headache for hours after the game. It was so loud that I could not think we were behind... We were in front of a student section behind the Maryland bench. Like, it was an insane environment. And that's a really good team. A ranked team. And Maryland picked up a big win, overcame a big deficit, and on the road. So... I think they should have moved up, honestly. That's the that's the thing with the the AP poll and all that this this year has just been if nobody loses in front of you then you're not really going to move up and I think I I agree with you that I don't know how high they could have moved up, but I mean, I think Duke beating UNC in overtime in a game that they should have lost, I think that could be a, a reason to move down. Um, and Maryland could move up, but it's it's just so hard to tell because when teams win, they're either going to stay the same or go up. You never really see a team win and move down. Right. That's the hard part. And speaking of Illinois, we have an exclusive update here, but you're not going to be getting anywhere else. Courtesy of Brandon Simberg, who played with Io DeSumo in high school and was good friends with him. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, we're gonna, we might talk about the game a little bit uh, of Illinois and Michigan State last night. Michigan State was leading, uh, like, the entire game, and then Illinois came back and almost won it, and on the final play, Iodosumo went down. The video was very gruesome. It, it, it was really awful. People thought he tore his ACL or broke his leg or something, and I've just gotten an update that there is no structural damage, um, but he's probably not going to be playing again for Illinois this year, and I think that really changes the landscape of the Big Ten um, because, you know, Illinois was towards the top of the standings, and um, could have really put up a fight in the Big Ten tournament, but he's such a huge part of their team that without him, I don't think they can have as much success. Completely agree. And now his, if he doesn't play, or I thought this kind of was the same thing. It could have been the same thing with Cole Anthony. I'm surprised Cole Anthony actually came back for North Carolina. They're done, though. Considering <laughs> they were doing so terribly without him, but... He, they were doing terrible with him, too. <laughs> I know. But it, I, whatever. No opinions on how good he actually is or anything, but I think that when he went down with injury, I was like, oh, he's probably not going to come back this year, and they might just keep him out and say he's still hurt, but then he's just preparing for the draft and staying healthy for that because 
he, he's a player that's going one and done. I think DeSumo goes to the draft this year as well, just based on the sophomore season he's had. So, oh, 100%. I think that it's a very high possibility that he does not play, if that is true or not. If that's it's, confirmed it's, it's or true. not, definitely confirmed. He, he's friends with him. I told him. Yeah, so I, I saw that coming from a mile away. Even if, if he I thought he healthy. tore his ACL. I thought he did too. So, that, I thought he was going to medically be out for the year. But now he'll be ready for the draft if he's actually well, healthy. Yeah. So. Well, he's not like completely healthy. Like he's still hurt. There's just no structural damage. Yeah. So um, he'll, he'll be ready. He'll be ready. And yeah. Yeah. And that reminds me, an update that we want to give you on Big Ten standings. Maryland is still at the top in ten and three, but you've had a bit of a shakeup, right? So last time we were on this podcast, it was before Maryland played Illinois, and you had Maryland and Illinois tied for first place with Michigan State right behind them, and now behind Maryland. Uh, good old foe for the Terps. First loss of the season, Penn State. Penn State is having a good year. That was Maryland. I've said this before. Maryland has not had a single bad loss this year in terms of the opponents that they lost to. Penn State is now 9-4 and four in sole second place. And behind them, after picking up the win at Illinois, is Michigan State at 9-5. and five. And then you have Illinois and Iowa tied for 8 and, and Rutgers tied for 8-5. and five. So... I mean, Penn State coming up, you look at their schedule, and they are, Northwestern is going to be playing them next, so, I mean, that's kind of a win, it's at home, and then they play against Illinois, which is going to be a really, a good game, I think, even with Iowa Hurt, but, you know, with looking at that, you now are probably going to have Penn State moving up to 10-4, and four. so it's really crucial that Maryland picks up this win at Michigan State. Um, to keep sole possession, because it's a, a very likely possibility that after Saturday they could be tied for first place. But um, you're now looking at a shakeup where Penn State is really proving their dominance in the conference. Um, they just beat Purdue 88-76. to um, They have beaten Minnesota 83-77. to You know, they beat Michigan State at Michigan State. They've had a really good season since beating Maryland, and I honestly think that Pat Chambers is making a coach for Big Ten uh, making a case for Big Ten Coach of the Year. It's it, right now. It's Mark Turgeon, and I know everybody gets. I think so it's either of them, but it's like yeah, it's I like mean, with Maryland. It's, it's like the expectation. Penn State has not made the tournament in so long. They're not expected to be this type of team. That's what I think is interesting, right? Like, yeah. if you're picking Coach of the Year, are you looking at like a program that continuously is like has these expectations? Which you know, Mark Turgeon has done an incredible job, but I think that it more so should go to a coach that's really turned the program around. I feel like that says more. I think if Maryland continues its path the way it is and keeps beating teams and... And also Penn State is 5-3 and three away. They're the best record record away from home in the Big Ten Conference. That says a lot. And I, I, they and Maryland are both on seven-game winning streaks also, just to know that. I don't think Penn State is going to finish in, in second, so I... I think Maryland... They do have a really tough schedule. <laughs> I think uh, Mark Turgeon will end up getting Big Ten Coach of the Year, and I know that might surprise a lot of Maryland fans because no, I think he every deserves time it. I open Twitter, they say, fire Turgeon, fire Turgeon, but they need chill. if you really analyze chill, guys. it and if you look at it, they're the first team to 20 wins in the conference. They're 20-4. and four. They're, not All of their losses have come against quad one teams and really good teams. I, I'm not getting into it, but... I think he's the Big Ten Coach of the Year. But you're right. Um, Penn State does have a really tough schedule. You know, they've got this easy game with Northwestern coming, but then they're playing Illinois. It's at home, but 
that's a ranked matchup. Then they're at Indiana, which obviously Assembly Hall is tough. They play Rutgers. They pl- they go to Iowa, which is tough. Michigan State comes to them. And then never game against Northwestern. So they're guaranteed to get two more wins pretty much, but the rest of it could really go either way. And then you look at Maryland's schedule, which we'll get into coming up after we talk about the most recent games. Um, you know, Maryland is going to be at Michigan State. Then they have Northwestern coming. That should be a win. Um, then they're at Ohio State, at Minnesota. I think they win one of those, maybe both. You don't, you never know. Michigan State at Maryland, Maryland at Rutgers. I don't think they can win that one. And then Michigan coming. So Maryland does have a bit of an easier schedule, but nothing is easy in the Big Ten as we've discussed, and anything can go either way. So we're running. We're going to be doing a bit of a longer podcast today because you know what, guys? It's we're getting to the final stretch. Can you believe it, Matt? I mean, the season's gone by so fast. Yeah, I feel like yesterday we were talking about football, and now <laughs> we've been talking about basketball for so long, but it really did go by quick. Yeah, so getting into this win at Illinois, I was there. I have to know, what were you thinking while you are watching at home, other than seeing me on TV and thinking, wow, my coworker, my friend is, like, so incredible and cool? <laughs> <laughs> well, the entire time I watched that game, I'm at the edge of my seat because... The stakes are so high, obviously, you know. First place in the Big Ten, a, another road win. Can Maryland do it again? Can they continue their winning streak? Can Jalen Smith get another double-double? There were just so many storylines, so many things. And I was kind of surprised at how how they were shooting the ball in the first half because I didn't think that they shot as well as they did. They shot uh, 60% or nearly 61% from the field in the first half. And 45.5 from yeah. the And if you were watching that game, it really seemed like they weren't making any shots. And it was almost that Illinois made more. Um, their percentage was actually a lot worse, but it, it it seemed like Illinois had the ball for more time, and Maryland started And they are getting every call they wanted. Right. It was just a packed place, and it, it, it seemed like everything was going Illinois' way, and then Aaron Wiggins hits that three at the buzzer, and all of a sudden it's only a two-point game. The building went silent. I mean... I'm sitting in front of a student section, and I'm sorry, I should have said friend. I don't know why I said coworker. You know I meant friend <laughs> when you saw me on TV. But I'm sitting in front of a student section, right? And it's kind of like a like a setup like they have at Duke, where the media row is like right in front of a student section. It's not as on top of you as you would have at Duke, but they're right there, and they're getting up. So, like, literally, they're right behind me. Um, luckily, it's not like at Duke where I'm getting paint on me or anything like that, but... I mean, they're literally right on top of me, and they were loud. We were, it was hard to concentrate, um, and it was a loud Rockets building, a tough environment to play, and they're, you know, shouting every insult you can think of. Um, they're really going after guys. They even went after Reese, and I said to Brandon, I'm like, come on, go after Maryland if you want, but don't go after Reese Mona. Just don't do that. You don't do that, because Reese is just, you know, an angel. You don't do that, but, um... <laughs> But the building went silent once he hit that. Just completely silent. The only time all night that it really went silent. Um, and Scott Van Pelt was there. You had a whole line of Maryland fans. Not even Maryland fans. Just like Illinois students. Like He literally had autographs for like 150 to like 200 kids. Maybe more. It was just an incredible environment. Um, if you've not been to State Farm Center, I highly recommend it. It's like a dome-shaped building. Just an incredible environment. Um, but yeah, Maryland... They're going neck and neck to start, and then 
you know, they just go on this spurt where they just can't seem to score and they're turning the ball over and Illinois just gets suddenly incredibly hot from the floor shooting all these threes and then um, Mark Turgeon gets this, there are two questionable technical calls in that game. So you have um, Mark Turgeon get one and then it was assigned to the team bench, but basically Mark Bilkowski, like, all he did was, because sig- we were also, like, right behind the Maryland bench, all he did was signal with his hands that um, that Josh Tamayich was fouled, and he immediately got a technical. And that actually, like, inspired Maryland to then go on this huge run um, to then bring it back to just within two at the half. And then the second half, they were just completely locked down defensively, um, holding Illinois to shoot 25.9% from the floor. And... They looked really, really good in that second half, and you know that's a, I, I was hopeful they would win that game, but honestly, in a building like that, it was sold out, on the road. I, I really didn't know, but they looked really good in that second half, and they've now won three straight on the road, which says a lot. Yeah, they they weren't able to win a road game at first. That was kind of like a storyline with them, and then they got it done. And now that they were pretty much rolling, but you you said it's just so loud, and when when fans are going against you, it's it's hard to play. But that's when I think your coach gets a technical foul. That fires the team up so much, and people don't realize that from outside of the game. But when you're actually there and seeing that, you saw it. That changed the team. That motivated yeah. them. They said, "Oh, our coach is behind us. He has our backs." And that just makes them compete. Not even that doesn't even make them more talented or play better. It just makes them compete harder, which in turn can make you play better. So, I think that really had a big impact on the game. As much as people say it was questionable or whatever, the second one to the bench was probably more questionable. But Turgeon was <clears throat> livid at. I don't remember what the call even was, but he was livid. Um, I think it was a charge that Cowan must have had. Yeah. Um, but I think when a coach gets a technical foul, that that was a perfect time for him to get it. it they were falling down a little bit. And they and still fell down after that. that. Like, they went down 14, but then you get the second one, and they just fire back. And yeah. I mean, to allow Illinois 42 points in the first half and then limit them to 24 in the second is pretty incredible. And I think that the defense, again, yesterday against Nebraska in this game, too, it's led by Jalen Smith. And it wasn't good yesterday against Nebraska. It was well at the end. At the end, that's what I mean. Oh, yeah. The last play. Yeah, but, look at look at Kofi Coburn. Yeah, he got. He's the Big Ten freshman of the year. I don't think there's anyone else. Maybe Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana, but Kofi's better. Kofi, yeah, he has the most uh, Big Ten freshman of the week awards. So I think he's gonna run away with that award. But he did not. He did not show up in this game. He only had nine points. Seven of which came from the line. Right. One of five from the field. And Jalen Smith and just four rebounds. shut him down. He's shut averaging him down. a double-double, and he had four rebounds and nine points, seven of which coming from the field. And Jalen Smith picked up another double-double in this game. And he also had a block. So I think that he's just been so much better, and he's really been the energy on defense, not letting anything go in, basically in the paint or down low or anything. And look at Georgie. I can't pronounce his name. Bashanishvili. Wow, great pronunciation. Thank you. Um, He... Only had six rebounds and three points. Another big guy down low. Like, yeah, and he actually tormented Maryland when they played in College yeah. Park. He was a pest. He was just doing the same thing at the top of the, at the in the high post at the free throw line. He would just put his back to the basket, 
and then he'd go to his left, or he'd go to his right because he's a lefty, so then he'd shoot the left-handed hook, and it would go in. But this time it didn't work, and I think Maryland prepared to guard him very well. And that has to do with a lot of film watching, so I think it was more of seeing him again helped a lot defensively. Yeah, and you end up with a you know huge nine-point victory. Like, it Huge. wasn't just about, like, they came back and it was close. Like, they really oh, no. created they some separation. They in the second half. It was a completely different... How? What was? What were the fans like when Maryland I mean, they were still, back? like, on their feet and still really wild and stuff. I mean, towards the final minutes, you re- they start to realize, but they're, they're still really on fire for most of the game. You know, like, it was a huge... It was the biggest match that they were saying um, there since 2005, I believe of having the two ranked teams, the battle for the Big Ten. So it was it was a crazy environment, and um, Maryland really showed out. And also, you know, one thing, you had uh, Eric Ayala end up with 12 points, including two threes, and we'll get into him from his next game because we're about to talk about Nebraska, but he has had 25 points over his last two games. He had a combined 25 points in the seven games before that. He's really getting back. He's back. <clears throat> he's really getting back to that, and you had five Maryland players in double-digit scoring, and Dante, and Dante Scott was seven. Like, that's the kind of production that you need. It doesn't matter if Ricky and Sorrell and Josh aren't scoring. If you can have that kind of production from your top five and still get a good defensive effort from the other guys subbing in, that's that's crucial. And same thing with against Nebraska. They had f- their top four guys were in... Or- not top four, but four guys were in double figures. Right, and, and I would Marcel like... had nine, yeah. so that was almost five. And I would like to point out something. First, I have to just say, Jason Yellen, strategic communications for Maryland, who came from... He was here earlier in his career, but was in, with the Big Ten, now is back at Maryland. We had the pleasure of sitting with him at Illinois. He has been incredible, just has incredible stats, and so I want to point out the stat that he has. First of all, he was the one who... Um, told me about Maryland last time them being undefeated at home being 2001-2002 but all right so he pointed this out to me he put it on Twitter pretty incredible stat it was the first time since February 27th 2001 that three Maryland players had double doubles you had Anthony Cowan Jr. with 13 points and 10 assists which is tied for a career high you had Dante Scott with his first double double of his career at 10 rebounds 10 10 rebounds 10 points and you had Jalen Smith with 13 rebounds and 16 points, which is pretty big. You almost had five and double figures, as you mentioned. And Eric Ayala had 13 points, and he looked incredible. He kept them in this game at times. He shot 50% from the field, 50% from threes with four made, which is the most he's made since uh, February of 2019. And he just looked really good. He also had five assists. Um and a steal. He just, he looked, and three rounds. He just looked really, really good in that game. But Maryland as a whole did not look great. I mean, they seemed to start out in the first couple of minutes pretty good, but then they, they were slow. Then the, the first, oh, like, like the, okay, 7 okay, okay. 3 or whatever, 7 2, whatever it was. But after that, it was Nebraska, they were playing with heart and they wanted to fight. Um,. <laughs> I can't pronounce. Their yeah, their names are so hard to pronounce. Cheatman, it's ridiculous. Cheatman, he had uh, twenty points, six rebounds. Uh, Thorir Thorbjarnison had fifteen points and seven rebounds, and they had another player in double figures as well. So they, 
had the scoring and the spread out that you need to win games. And we said on the opposite side for Maryland where they don't need everybody to score to win. And that's kind of the formula. They had everybody scoring in this game. And I think every time they've had everybody score, not not a, literally everybody score points, but, I mean, spread out scoring, guys in double figures. They had four in this one. Morcella had nine. Wiggins with six. I think, in, and Chol Mariel scored actually too. So I think when they have spread out scoring, they are going to win. I don't know if they've lost a game when they've had this much spread out scoring, but it's hard for Nebraska that they did have spread out scoring and they couldn't get it done because I think that that just shows in the end Maryland is a team that is not going to just completely fold. They bended in this game, but they didn't break, and I think that's so important. Yeah, and, you know, the thing with this game is, like, it was kind of flipped, right? Maryland's defense has been great all season, but this was a game that the defense just wasn't there. Um, they were missing a lot of back screen passes, and just... Turgeon said after the game, he said, like, look, we didn't take this matchup seriously enough. And he he said, don't blame my guys, that's on me. He said that, you know, he was really sick, clearly. You know, as I, I'm sick now, and Emily Giambalvo from the post is sick. It's kind of spreading around the beat, but he missed practice on Sunday. He hadn't missed practice in 15 years, he said. Um, and he was just really not feeling well for every game. His press conference was very short. He just wasn't, you could just tell he wasn't feeling well. Um, and that's not an excuse, but it certainly plays a factor. But, like, the fact is, they, Maryland just didn't take this game seriously enough. Um, and we saw it a bit earlier in the season, and I thought they'd gotten past that. But I think just with the win streak they were on, it kind of crept up. And now they were saying after the game that no one even celebrated in the locker room. People were really upset that they performed the way they did. And I think that says a lot about this team. They realize that they really messed up. Because you have Nebraska shooting 40.6% from the field. And Maryland was up at the half. It was their largest lead at the half since Purdue on January 18th. But they then, like, they held them to 27% and 15% from behind the arc. But then in the second half, they allowed Nebraska to shoot 54.8% from the field and 30.8% from behind the arc. Um and they ended shooting over 40% um, on the night. So it really was a defense that got to Maryland in this one because their offense looked really good, except for the fact that Maryland had 17 turnovers. They didn't have that many turnovers in a long time, and yes, they had 20 assists, which is the most assists they've had in a long time, and they had 20 assists on uh, 25 made shots, which is really, really good and impressive, but they had 17 turnovers, and... You know, Anthony Cowan and Eric Ayala, they were keeping it in check pretty much. I mean, to, for Ant to have 10 assists and 3 turnovers is really good, but Joe Morcel had 4 turnovers, Aaron had 2, Jalen had 3. Um, turnovers played a big, big factor in this one. You have Nebraska getting 16 fast break points and 19 points from turnovers. I think what I was just looking at in this in this box score from Nebraska that stood out to me, I didn't realize that Cam Mack only had four points. That's they were top going scorer. after him. And I think that... And I'm talking about not even... I mean, Maryland was, but Maryland fans. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he shot one of ten from the field, 0 of four from three, and he had four rebounds, and he actually had eight assists, which is... That was the team lead. I think that 
Maryland might have prepared really well for him and defensively, but that allowed other guys to have double-digit scoring, and I don't know if that had something to do with Turgeon not being at practice where they couldn't prepare a certain way for everyone else, but I think they did a great job shutting down Mac, and they did that against Coburn as well. They shut down pretty much Illinois' arguable best player. You could argue that Tasumu is as well, but I think what, the next thing that I'm wondering, and I, I want to know if you have an answer, when will Ayala and Wiggins both play a complete game in the same contest? Yeah, because, because here Ayala, Ayala clearly is performing again, but Wiggins fell off in this game. So I, yeah, he was two for eight and zero for four from deep. It's it's just it's so different. I don't know. I feel like they've really they haven't had a game where I mean I guess Illinois where they both scored in double figures but a game where they both score like 15 points each or something like that we haven't really seen that this year yeah for sure I mean you may have seen it like early in the season but not against tough competition but I was also really glad to see Chol play um he played five minutes and 33 seconds he had two shots from the floor made one of them two rebounds two points, um, and a block. He did have a turnover and two fouls, um, and his timing still looked a bit off. Um, he gave up. There was this one defensive play where he literally, like, the guy just went, it it just seemed like he wasn't even paying attention. Um, but it was really, really good to see him back playing, because we really hadn't seen him, and he hadn't scored since January 4th against Indiana. So that was good to see. Sorrell Smith played almost eight minutes, but was 0 for 3 from the floor. Um, though his, his defense was, you know, decent. Um, but Ricky Lindo didn't play and Turgeon said after the game, he just hadn't seen enough consistency with him defensively. And I, I think that's a (coughs) really interesting point because Ricky was one of their best defenders last year, even though his offense has never really been there. And, um, that could be really detrimental to this team if, if he can't come in and give valuable minutes on the defensive end. I don't know why they didn't. I don't know. I mean, this was a game where you said they might have overlooked the They the did, opponent. and they all admitted yeah. that. Yeah, and I think that's why Chol got some minutes here. Um, I mean, they were up by a lot at the, came... at the, in the first half. They just yeah, fell yeah, yeah. apart in the second defensively, and then I think at the half they're like, oh, we're up, like we're in a breeze and coast. And I mean, I thought this was going to be like a 20, 30-point victory, but it just wasn't. He, uh, well, I think with, with Chol getting two stints, he... he he went in, came out, and then he went back in. We haven't seen that probably since the Indiana game. And he hadn't scored since the Indiana game as well, which was January 4th. Uh, that was the Indiana game. That was at home. And I think that with him getting two different stints in this game, that kind of shows Maryland might have said, oh, this is a weaker opponent. We should win the, or we will win this game. Let's play him, get him some minutes whatever but i think you gotta you gotta play lindo i don't know why they didn't i think he's he's gonna be here all four years but he's got to develop and they when something's not working defensively you gotta go to him he always comes in and gets a big block but that was what turgeon said though he said that he hasn't been good good defensively i I don't know i i must be missing something but i feel like lindo comes in maybe he doesn't Maybe he doesn't play consistently well, but he'll come in and get a huge steal or block, and that is enough, if I'm the coach, to get a spark uh, off the bench. I would put him in just for the spark. but I don't know. I'm not as high on Ricky Lindo, but 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. I don't know how you feel. I'm not concerned about this game. No, I figured I think... they've been good defensively all year. They overlooked it. They know they can't do it again. They didn't even celebrate in the locker room. Like, I'm not concerned whatsoever. When, when I don't. Th- I don't think the same thing will happen when Northwestern comes. I really don't. I don't either. But when people look back at this game, it was Trojans' 200th win, by the way, fastest, yeah. second fastest coach in program history behind Lefty. So he must be doing something right, folks. <laughs> but uh, I think when people look back at this game, even at the end of the week, they're they're not even going to notice that they nearly lost. They're just going to say, oh, Maryland beat Nebraska, and that was it. But now I think everybody's turning to the game on Saturday against Michigan State. Yeah, this is a game I've been looking forward to all season, and it kind of stinks that Michigan State <coughs> fell out of the top 25 because, like I said, I don't think they should have. Yes, they lost three straight, but... I don't think they deserve the fallout. I really don't, especially with some of the teams that we're in. But it's still, regardless, going to be college game day. I know some Maryland fans are upset. I personally was really hoping that we would get game day on February 29th. And while that still is a possibility, it's now certainly less likely now because Maryland, Michigan State will already be on college game day. But I think that's going to be awesome. Um, Maryland's going to be fired up. They haven't won at Michigan State since December 30th, 2014. So, I mean, nearly six years. And um, Michigan State, I mean, they lost three straight, but then they won at Illinois, and they looked really good in that game. I mean, they nearly lost at the end, like we mentioned, but they led by 17 and um, looked good. And I think Maryland could win this game, but it's going to be a tough one. Playing at Michigan State is tough, and... uh, this team is a team that, that's really good regardless of whether they have a number in front of their name or not. I think it's a team that is probably going to – Michigan State, they're probably going to come in with a crazy fan – like the way Illinois kind of did. Just Oh, yeah, that, 100%. They're going to be so energized. It's a hard building to play in. The last game they lost at home was against Penn State last week. But that's week, like so. a road warrior Big Ten team. Yeah. I think this is a little different just in terms of it's ESPN's primetime Saturday game. I've seen commercials already since Monday. Um, I, I think it's Cow and Cassius Winston going at it. Jalen Smith and Xavier Tillman going at it. Aaron Wiggins and Aaron Henry going at it. Or Rocket Watts and Daryl Marcel. There's so many. This I feel like they match up so well that I think Maryland could win this game. I don't know if they will. I don't think that it's... Like, oh, Michigan State's unranked. They're struggling. And they might be due. They might be due for a big win like this. They haven't had that in a while. So. Well, I mean, they just got the big win in Illinois. Yeah, but, I mean, like, a home top 10 opponent playing at home, That there's nothing like that that'll get momentum going. But um, I think that this is a really big game for both sides because if Michigan State loses, how many losses do they have right now? They have eight overall losses they have five conference losses if they lose they're now 17 and 9 and 9 and 6 in the conference that's not good they're probably going to stay on ranked if they lose and if maryland loses it's not really and there's just so much more on the line for michigan state i feel like to to actually go out and win this game because if maryland loses this game they're they're still 20 and 5 and they still have a chance to get them back at home <clears throat> and they'll still be in the top top of the conference, and they play them again at home. Mm-hmm. And losing to Michigan State on the road is never a bad loss. Yeah. But as long as they compete, because in the past years they've not really right. been able to compete there. Yeah. 
But if 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 Michigan State loses this game again, they're gonna fall down again. They're nine losses for this. I, I don't know. I feel like they just have so much to, more to compete for that they will probably win. Um, and just to make the Big Ten interesting, they'll probably win because I just feel like that's how the season's going. Where just things you don't really expect or just everybody competing really well. But I think that uh, it's going to be a very big matchup between Anthony Cowan and Cassius Winston. Yeah. I think Winston's a National Player of the Year candidate. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that, but he obviously he is a- averaging 18.3 points and shooting 42.4% from the field. He's a, he's a great player, but I don't know if he is that actual National Player of the Year. Um, he's gotten so much hype around him, though. And I think Cowan might have a little chip on his shoulder not being named to the top 10 Bob Cousy Award finalists. And they've both gone after each other. You know, yeah. they've... Throughout their... They're both seniors, so. Yeah. And I think, you know, Cowan, like we mentioned, the last one was 2014-15. He's never picked up a win at Michigan State. I feel like that's got to be something on his on his list of things he wants to accomplish this year. Yeah, like he said, like, I think a reporter... I saw this on Twitter yesterday. A reporter asked, they've won seven straight, tw- first to 20 wins in the conference that's got to feel good and he said no we're, we're not done yet we got he had a the same reaction when i asked at illinois yeah so that might be on his list he might be right and looking at michigan state they have two losses at home one was to duke uh 87 to 75 that was back on december 3rd teams have changed so much since then and then the other uh as we mentioned was to penn state they're a really good team um regardless of their ranking just so so well coached one thing that always stands out to me about michigan state is their ball movement i remember watching last year michigan play michigan state in the big 10 tournament we stayed after maryland lost and just kind of had a fun trip watch some games and um their ball movement is just incredible they're averaging 17.8 assists a game and it's just their ball movement is really really good and you know they're averaging over 75 points a game um, they're shooting over 45% from the field. They're, they're a really good team, and this is really, really going to be a battle. Um, I think that Maryland is really going to be fired up for this one, and I honestly think this could go either way. It, it really could, and if Maryland picks up a win here, that is huge. That is so huge, both for Big Ten standings, because if they lose this game and Penn State's likely going to win, they then now are tied for first place. If they, if they win this game, they're solidifying themselves once again at the top, um, if they win this, that's huge for their tournament resume. Huge. Um, and, you know, to be able to go 2-0 and against Michigan State in one year, if they then can pick up against home, is, just says so much. And I think it's going to go down to the wire. But if Maryland can play defense like we've seen them at times, and Eric Ayala can stay on this hot streak, and you can just have everything clicking in this offense – the offense has played better over the past two games in terms of percentages, right? You know, you've got 48% against Nebraska, um, 36% against Illinois. Or sorry, that's Illinois' percentage, 46.4% against uh, Illinois. So they've really, and they're they're averaging 41% on the season. So you've seen a big improvement in terms of their shots falling recently. And if they can keep that going and really lock down this team, I think that's going to do really really well for them looking at um you know Xavier Tillman um I think that Jalen Smith can really handle him right now I really do um I think Jalen has a bit of a height advantage right yeah 
I think Tillman, he might only be like 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, um, but I think with... with yeah, he's only 6'8", six, six, so eight. that gives Jalen a big advantage. Huge. And although Tillman is he's probably a little more muscle and more weight, but are nearly the same amount of weight. Um, yeah, he does weigh nearly 10 more pounds, more. Ten, but Jalen has gone up against guys that yeah, have like 50 Garza, pounds on him and done well. He, he did well against Garza, and Garza scored all his points in garbage time. He shut down Kofi Coburn this time around. So I think this season has just been a complete turnaround for him. He can he can really go at Tillman. And I, I, one thing I want to also point out with Michigan State having more to lose is that their schedule is so much harder than Maryland's the rest of the way. After this game, Michigan State has at Nebraska, home against Iowa, which will probably still be ranked. Then they travel to College Park. Then they have to go into Penn State. And then they host Ohio State, and Ohio State might have DJ Carton back by then. Um, so I think that they they will play three ranked teams in a row, current ranked teams in a row. It's so the Big Ten is just so hard. I mean, they should beat Nebraska, but they could easily lose three in a row again with Iowa, Maryland, and Penn State. So this game is huge for them. They Michigan State needs a win more than Maryland does, I think, in terms of staying in this in this season yeah i think this is the same scenario we talked about with illinois where a loss isn't devastating a win is huge for maryland right so they lose this game yes they're not going to be sole first place in the big 10 likely yes it's another loss and it probably decreases their chances of getting a number one seed or a number two seed but you win this game and i i think you really solidify yourself you 100% move up in the rankings if you win this because I don't think you can really move up that much from a win over Nebraska, especially the way it was, the way it happened. So that's going to be huge. But uh, who, who do you think, as we wrap up here, who do you think takes this? Because I'm really going back and forth, and I don't even know if I can say it, but I want to hear what you have to say. I think Michigan State wins by two or three, and Maryland's going to have a chance late, but something's not going to go right. And I think it almost might be better that for that to happen for Maryland because they're always they they've been better when they're kind of under the radar and right now I think they're not getting enough recognition but if they lose this game they probably won't they'll get a little bit less even so I I mean I think Michigan State with more to lose they probably will come out and win I think that Michigan winning at Illinois was huge um, because now like it's not like as dire as it would have been with four straight losses and I think that Maryland's gonna win because they didn't do well against Nebraska, and they're going to be fired up after that. And they haven't had a win at Michigan. No one on this team has ever won at Michigan State. I think that's going to be motivating them. I think Turgeon's going to be really motivated to show that like he can hang his hat with Tom Izzo. And so I think Maryland's going to win, but I think it'll be like one or two points. So we this could even go a, into over, overtime. I think this could possibly go into overtime. Game. I agree. I think this is going to be a huge matchup. And we will be in East Lansing covering everything with College Game Day, with this giant matchup. We might be posting some vlogs of uh, food and stuff we're doing. We might be doing a live Q&A from the car ride. And before we get off here, we have a big podcast announcement. We will be recording another podcast tomorrow with a very for outtakes with a very special guest. Would you like to reveal who we are having on the podcast, Matt? Should we reveal it now or should we uh, make them wait? I don't know. I don't know. You know what? Matt's right. We're going to make you guys wait a little bit, but 
just stay tuned. This is, this is a big one. This is one we've been wanting all year, and it's something that you are not going to want to miss. So stay tuned, obviously, with all of our coverage and a big matchup for this weekend. And we thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on the Testito Times Weekly Podcast.